This podcast is produced by Unedited. I'm Louise Golby. I'm a singer-songwriter and gigging musician based in London, and I've been doing the music thing for about 15 years now. In this series, what's really important to me is talking to people that I respect as songwriters and just hearing about their journey and how their songwriting process comes about. I am very honoured to have as my guest British multi-instrumentalist, artist, producer, songwriter and pioneer of the neo-soul genre, Omar Lifek, MBE. Omar is without a doubt one of the greatest soul music talents the UK has ever produced. He's released eight studio albums in his career of over 30 years. He was awarded an MBE for his services to music and he's worked with an endless list of artists such as Stevie Wonder, the late Leon Ware, Erica Badu, Angie Stone, Common, Carleen Anderson, D'Angelo and Estelle to name a few. In fact, Omar is cited as being the first artist producer to create that neo-soul sound which many American artists followed. I personally have also had the honour of not only sharing the stage with him on several occasions over the years, but I was also fortunate enough to have worked with him on a track on my last album, which he produced and also featured on, and is in the music video. In this episode, I ask Omar about his unique compositioning and production style, and how working with artists such as Stevie Wonder has changed his approach to recording and writing music. I open with a question I've been asking all of my guests. If I was to introduce you with just one song, what would it be? have to be there's nothing like this because that's the most uh well-known song obviously it's not it's not indicative of everything that i do but that's the one that most people know and uh, i'm 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 proud of i'm proud enough of that song that you know if that's the one that they they want to start with then that's okay that's that that's that that's at the beginning of the journey as it were yeah and if it's the song that if someone says your name that's what people will associate yeah yeah they normally say there's nothing like this or the, or the bass line they'll sing to you something something that will trick their memory what was the inspiration behind the song and the lyrics do you remember i was listening to uh we're going through my dad's record collection and uh he had a an album by a band called the ohio players and uh an album called skin tight and on there is a, a track called heaven must be like this You know what I think heaven is? Mm-mm. I think heaven is you. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> Listen. And at that time, this was about 88, 89, the only thing that was in fashion at the time was Acid House and hip-hop was like in its... It was just starting out. So everything was being sampled or sequenced. And then when you listen to this song, it's just something so refreshing because it, uh, it was all organic all instrumentation, you know, all live instruments, uh, string sections and everything. And I was like, this, well, we need something like this on the radio. And the bass line is very similar to what I what I wrote for uh, uh, There's Nothing Like This. That's where the nucleus came from. 
And then the lyrics just came from the from the melody. I was up all day. I started at 11 in the morning, finished about five o'clock, and then I was like, I need to get some inspiration for the for the for the lyrics. So I went and bought bought some weed, <laughs> smoked that, and then and then that's how the lyrics came. Basically, you know, it wasn't about a specific um, moment in time or anything that happened to me personally. It was just uh, that was the mood that I was uh, thinking of when I when I uh, when I when I heard the melody. That's what the the words were saying to me. Obviously, with the infamous baseline, you redid the song, didn't you, for your album The Man, and you had Pino Palladino on bass. Uh, Pino's great, you know. I was I've been a big fan of his since he uh, was playing for Paul Young back in the day uh, when I was. Learning bass, I was listening to people like Level 42, Jeff Lorber. Um, and, you know, I was a big Mark King fan. Uh, but then when I heard Pino's style of playing, you know, the the Yakko, Pastorius, fretless bass type of sound, that, that took me in a, an, another whole other direction. So to, to get to work with him years later was uh, fantastic. Obviously, that's your most successful song commercially. Mm. But what's the song you're most proud of as a songwriter? Oh no, nah, I'm not. I'm not falling down that one. I'm not, oh. <laughs> you're not baiting me with that one because you know I've written eight albums worth of songs, so yeah. they're all my babies. You know what I mean? Okay. Each one is a different, as a different style. You know what I mean? Uh, it yeah. so doesn't sound like Little Boy. Doesn't sound like Tell Me. Doesn't sound like There's Nothing Like This. Doesn't sound like Sing If yeah. You Want. You know what I mean? So I could keep going yeah. on for for ages and ages. I'm just really, I'm just really proud of my catalogue. I know you're from quite a musical family with your, obviously your brother Scratch, who's Grammy Award award winning producer, uh-huh. and your father's a drummer, is that right? With yeah, Bob Marley yeah. and Rolling Stones. Not Bob Marley. He's, Bob Marley was his mate, but he never played for him. That's what I'm saying. That's, I think there's something in the... That's from uh, a bio I read. So yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> I always got him try to get him to change that one. He was like, I never okay. played with Bob Marley or the Stones. Uh, but he, but he, he used to hang out with Bob. Um so yeah, when I first started, I mean, I was always uh, learning instruments anyway. I was playing uh, piano. Uh, what was the first instrument I played? I played a cornet when I was eight years old. And then from then on, I went to play uh, the piano, percussion uh, in youth orchestra. I studied, studied music school like on weekends from when I was about 13, 14, played in the youth orchestra. Um, and then I kind of started to mess about with writing songs. Wow. So what I would do, you know, because I was playing... I, and I picked up the bass as well. Like I said, I was listening to Jeff Lorber and, uh, and, and Level 42. So I, I was playing drums, playing bass, and I kind of wanted to put songs together. So I'd get two tape recorders, record one thing on one. Oh, wow. Like play, record the, that, the bass line down and then get another tape recorder playing that back and recording me playing the drums at the same time. So that's that, that was the first way you said that, like, and go back and forth with, until you got a... You got a a song together. And I was not a good singer. I don't say that I am right now, but um, I was not a good singer when I first started, but I, I didn't know any singers back then. So in order to write the song, I would, you know, end up singing it myself and I just kind of stuck with it. I can't imagine you not being able to sing. No, my voice is very different back then. Uh, my first song was called Mr. Postman and I hated it. I hated it with a, with a passion. And I just, and it kind of helped me there because I decided, if anything, I'd never want to write a song that I hate ever again because you're gonna to have to sing that for the rest of your life you know what I mean so you better be careful <laughs> what songs you write do you ever get requested that song in no Get well no no I know no people they don't shout it out at gigs but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, if somebody wants to wind me up they don't know research they'll go oh yeah go on play it oh I want to listen to it now I'll be like don't you dare I'll wait until I leave 
you know, because my voice was, you know, it was the first song I ever like commercially released. Mm. And it, and my voice hadn't de- developed to, to what it is now, you know. So it didn't make the anthology then? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it didn't. Um, would you say that your approach to songwriting has changed then since the beginning of your career? Would you say you have a consistent songwriting process, like how a song idea normally comes about, or is each song different? Uh, yeah, it is, it is different in terms of of like the technology, but in terms of the structure, and production, I think I've kind of rigorously stuck to the same formula in terms of what sounds I want to use and what kind and what kind of styles. You know, my style is Latin, funk, soul, reggae, classical, and jazz, and I mix that all up, and then out of that comes something. And I got to say, actually, my dad was the one that um, kind of. Uh, taught me how to build a production kind of thing. But he just, uh-huh. he, he didn't have the words to say what it was. So you go, no, nah, that, that that needs to go in there with a bit more, mm, 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 uh, 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 uh. and I go, all right, I can't understand what it meant because everything has its place. He, he he was a big fan of Keith Sweat. Um, there was something to do with, uh, I'm listening to Keith Sweat for, for years, but he, there was something to do with how he put his songs together. And my dad liked the way that he did these things. And so then if you listen to my earlier songs, uh, I've got one called You and Me, um, Get It Out Your System. These are the ones after the one I hated, basically. But there's a, you know, there, there's a, supposed to be like a, a a beginning, middle and an end to a tune. And that's how things are supposed to go together. And everything's supposed to stack up in a way that you can still hear each instrument. Even if there doesn't matter if there's like four or 50 instruments each one is supposed to stick out in, in a way. And it's just the way he, he ex- expressed it to me because, like I said, he's not a technical person. He, he's not, he w- didn't have the way with the words. He just had a way with the vibe. He's a, a um, pure vibes man. And, and that's what that's what um, influenced me in, in my uh, production. I feel so excited Cause you're coming back home again collaborating does your songwriting process change depending on who you're working with or do you generally write the song before you're in the studio with the other person or is it collaborative it, it, it really does depend you know uh, Misha's thing was uh, she called me to produce the song for her and you know put down the bass line put stuck a, a middle eight in it and um, bam hey presto uh, um, Terry was something that I started off with Matt Cooper from incognito and uh i thought we'd actually we'd done it so long ago it's like 10 years ago we actually did the song 
Um, and then I called Terry and, and, and I said, yeah, I think I've got something that we could jump on. And then we did that together. That's just how it works. I mean, everything has a different, opera, uh, op, what was it? Uh, you know, different way of doing it. I was trying to be flashed there and trying to use Latin, but I totally forgot what the word was. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, everything has a different way, you know, different approach. I mean, it's great if you can start it from the ground up together. But sometimes, you know, you don't have that um, luxury of doing that kind of thing, you know. Uh, especially like now in lockdown, you, you always have to have somebody start something and then send it to you and then you put something else on top and send it back and forth, you know. So no no process is exactly the same. How did the collaboration with Angie Stone and Erica Badu come back? Because obviously you recorded Be Thankful, which is a William Devaughan cover. I had an idea for some, for it to be somebody when I, when I, when I first started producing the track um that person wasn't available and then i got a phone call from erica saying oh what's happening i'm like oh you perfect timing um so we went to record it um trivial bit of uh, bit of trivia here um common was in the studio at the same time she was recording i didn't even know that because i didn't know him at the time so we like i'd finished the, the album the album's like a week away from um being released and then all of a sudden i get a note saying that we can't use erica I'm like, what? We're just about to release the, the, the track. I had a big old um, argument with um, the person that it was. I'm going to say that who it is right now. And um, so then I had to find somebody like pretty quick uh, to, to like replace Erica. And then Angie um, contacted me to say that she she's a big fan of um, my song, Little Boy. I'm like, oh, by the way, I've got a tune that you might want to sing on. And so she came on board. And then that's <laughs> before the release. Then they told us, oh, yeah, you can use Erica. But then I had Angie <laughs> as well. So I had, I, had two, I had two versions with two great singers. So I wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to complain. Wow. Because Erica Badu is quoted to say, Omar's my favourite, one of my favourite artists ever. And the fact that all the neo-soul artists in America that you've worked with wanted want to work with you is because they, you were doing that sound first, you know. So it's amazing. You've invented a genre. Oh no, no! I, I, I would never take take full credit for that. I mean, you know, I was just part of a movement at the time. You know, that that time they were calling my style of music acid jazz. So there was uh, Incognito, who'd been from the seventies actually, but there was Young Disciples, Brand New Heavies, and um, there was some, somebody else. I can't remember who it was, but I, I, I can't speak personally for them. But I think. What we were trying to do was recreate the same soul music that we loved from back in the day. Like I said about There's Nothing Like This, I was trying to recreate a song that sounded like Heaven Must Be Like This by the Ohio players. So I think that's just kind of what we were doing, which they weren't doing at the time. They were going heavy into their R&B, which was all synthetic sounds, samples and stuff, where we were trying to be the organic thing. And I think that stood out. And then it kind of went over to the States and then they brought that back to us in in a form of D'Angelo and Erica and you know people like that but everybody else was a band which are they still together they're still together now whereas I can't break up you know what I mean I'm just <laughs> still little still little old me uh, artistic doing, doing, differences doing with I yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that with my girls funny enough because yeah, I used to like we used to go and rehearse go and play I'd be on bass I'd be on drums play on keys and we'd be the band would be breaking up before the end of the rehearsal that's how <laughs> Golden brown, texture like sun, lays me down with 
my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown you did a version of golden brown strangler's golden brown yeah that was on uh, the album this is not a love song your version of that song is is a really renowned cover version of it isn't it so did that bring other kind of opportunities from that particular song or do people still talk about that song to you that well now like i say that's a song that is more known in the states than it is over here because people people in the states don't really know the stranglers whereas they're much bigger here do you know what i mean so it was uh it was um yeah it was well received there because they thought it was like a new a new track but i, I did it because i love that song uh, it's one of the first singles i remember buying uh, it was like I, buy, I bought my, Michael Jackson off the wall, Police Regatta de Blanc, and I remember buying um, Golden Brown by the Stranglers. And the best thing for me was is that um, Hugh Cornwall, uh, who wrote it, I bumped into him in a pub somewhere, and he went, "Oh, it's the best version he ever heard of of the song." So I was really, I was really tickled by that. This month, May 2020, the icon Stevie Wonder celebrated his 70th birthday. Omar's had a long relationship with Stevie, not just as an inspiration, but also as a collaborator. I asked him how it came about. Basically, he told me he was going to write something for me in 92. I went to the studio at uh, Wonderland in 93. He fell asleep when we were trying to, <laughs> when I was I actually sat with him in the studio. So I was like, oh, it's not going to work then. And then 2000, I get a phone call. He's like, yo, it's your boy. I'm like, who's that? He goes, Steve. I go, Steve. I go, Steve, who won? I went, nah. <laughs> and I said, sing something for me. And he, and he did. And, I, oh, and then I was, uh, for two weeks, I was like um, his ambassador for, uh, we went to restaurants, clubs, hotel. And then finally he goes, yeah, I got, let's go studio. I'm like, of course. Um, and then we went and did something, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the next morning I get a phone call. It's like, yeah, I've got another song. Let's go. Let's go. So we went back to the studio and uh, the end result is feeling new. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he's that, that's the master. That's the person who, who influenced me to do what I do. You know, a lot of my production sound, my arrangements, vocal harmonies, I've, I've learned from Stevie, basically. So if you're working with someone like that, of course, you're going to get the, the jitters. Yeah. And he's probably the most prolific songwriter there is. And he's still writing and he's... Still writing as well. Yeah, I know. I know. And he started when he was... Is it 11, his first song? Something something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Little Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie. So, yeah, he was a prodigy back then, yeah. And he said, when I grow up, I want to be like Omar. I was messing about. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. So how do you feel about the changes in the music industry since you've been doing it? So obviously like with digital downloads and streaming, has it affected 
your songwriting process because obviously there's different ways of things are listened to differently aren't they so it hasn't, it hasn't affected the the songwriting process uh, nothing would affect that in that way uh, obviously in terms of people getting to hear my music it's it's a bit easier now and and it's it's global because people you know uh I, there was one there's one time long ago somebody posted up and this was when i had, only had six albums he posted up all six albums uh, and uh but then i read like it was 400 comments afterwards and they were from around the globe wow. I mean, venezuela china mexico i mean you know places i've never been yeah. and each one was saying thank you for posting this i've been looking for this guy's music since where you know way back when and i couldn't get it but now i've got it and you know that means a lot to me because now the next thing I, I can do is travel to them countries and perform for them, you know? Um, yeah. Whereas back, you know, back in the day, uh, the, the radio was locked down. The TV was locked down. Because you, know I mean? you had to get onto the national, um, you know, to, 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 to be promoted nationally or globally, you'd have to get onto those stations. Um, you know what I mean? So it's a lot easier for people to get their, their music out there. It means there's a lot more people and it's mm. a lot more harder to get paid, but at least people can go and seek their, the music there that they want to hear, as opposed to you know A and R people trying to tell people what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I'm, that's a, I'm a, you know I'm a, I'm an artist. I, I, I that's how I express myself is through my music. So I, I I can't deal with anybody telling me what to do. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I I basically know what I'm doing. Because uh, yeah, actually back to what you said about the global thing it's great because you can look at statistics like who's listening in what countries or even what cities in which countries yeah. and you can yeah. base a tour around that your music is global and it seems like the states and france and you know in else. the states even though I, I i get a lot of love from the artists and i do have a lot that states is my biggest market it's not like i'm mainstream it's not like i, I walk down the street and i'm gonna get it stopped every day type of thing. So, you know what I mean? It, I feel it's just more people in the States, but I'm still underground. And over here, I'm, you know what I mean? I, I just know where I'm going to be spotted. You know, it's the black <laughs> crowd that, I'm definitely going to get spotted by the black crowd, but there's obviously the white crowd. There's people in the white crowd who know their soul music. They're, they're big fans as well. You know, so I was looking on Spotify. Uh, have you done your artist thing to, to make sure you, you know, you, you know, your stats and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I was just checking out and I was really interested because yeah. I was seeing that I'm, I'm bigger in Amsterdam than I am in London. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot more people listening there than there is over here. So it is it is interesting. Um, but, you know, in terms of being underrated, I just, I I don't care. I really don't, you know what I mean? I've, I've made, I managed to make a living out of doing this. And, and you know, I haven't looked in, I haven't looked at the charts I don't know how many years. I mean, you know, the only charts that I can remember would have been the first, would have been with There's Nothing Like This. And they got to number 14, I think it was, or was it number 54? I can't remember. I don't really care. You know what I mean? It's about making the music, expressing myself, and someone someone out there was listening somehow. And um, yeah, with the power's grace, I'm still here making music and people are still listening to me. Because you've obviously got an MBE and um, you've, won various awards and what what do these mean for you and your family or your accolades especially the MBE well the MBEs are, are a special one because it's quite a sp- prestigious uh, an award to to get and you know services for music means a whole lot to me because you know I don't I'm not a mainstream artist 
You're not seeing me you know, getting a Grammy or a Brit sorry, or a Mercury or one of those any anytime soon. Um, so to get something from that that uh, high office was, uh, yeah, it meant a lot. And it meant a lot to, to my family as well to get, you know, honoured by the Queen. We turned into Prince Charles at the last minute because she was sick. But, um, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was really, really nice. You know, I like to... I uh, like to think that I, I've contributed something um, absolutely to, to, to the musical musical world, nay the UK world. You know, so um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Did Prince Charles um, didn't he ask for your CD or something? He said, "You uh, may still making music," and I said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, <laughs> do do drop off a copy at the uh, the, the palace," and I said, "Yeah, all right." And I sent one to his uh, his uh, assistant who wrote me a letter back saying. Prince Charles wants to say thank you very much and you'll listen to it at his earliest convenience. I, I would like to think him and Camilla were there bopping, you know, in the I hope garden. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listening to it one day. Yeah. Which album was it at the time? Uh, the Man. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'm thinking about some things I've done when I was so whole while some things that I should not have done just trying to be the man your last album Love and Beats um, which is your eighth studio album and that's got collaborations with Ty um, Robert Glasper Natasha Watts and obviously it was produced with your brother or was it no it's sort of like half and half because um, okay. we, we were we work we, we work on stuff all the time I mean he was like let's do a double album I'm, not, I'm, going, I'm not giving it away like that we'll just do one and we'll do another one <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you can you can tell his production, you can tell mine, but it all makes it, it all gels together to make a nice product. I think I I always like to think of an album as you as soon as you you put it on, and you don't stop it until the last last drop. You know what I mean? That's what an a good album should do. Definitely. And I thought we came up with the right mixture of tunes. I'm kind of that close to that now with this next. Uh, my ninth album now because I've got uh, a load of ideas that I, I just need to, to do. So I think I've got plenty of time to to get them uh, sorted now. Sorry, I keep referring to Love and Beats as your last album, but obviously the anthology's come out since then. It's 33-track collection from your whole career. So was that hard to like decide which songs? Or <laughs> yeah. was it? <laughs> it well, yeah, because at the start of, you know, there's probably about, there's over 100 songs. And then I said, well, can we just have, can we just have 50? Uh, get 50 and I'm like okay so I got down to 50 and then they were like right okay now we can't fit that many tracks on a, on two CDs so you have to cut it down even more 
And, you know, obviously I, I, I cut it down and then it's not until after release, I'm going, oh, maybe that should have gone on there. And the people are going, why is that? Why is that not on there? Why is <laughs> I can't please, please everybody at the same time, you know, but I, I, I think uh, we're looking to, in the future, to re-release every, every album and, and do it in all formats as well because the vinyl seems to be coming back yeah. now as well. That's quite a big thing, you know. I, I heard somebody saying cassettes. I don't know if it pushes it that far. <laughs> um, even though I've got lots of cassette machines around the house, but uh, yeah, you know, it's um, it, it, yeah. I, I I just feel proud that I could. I you know, I've, I've got a catalog that big, big that goes back that long, and that people know that many that many songs. Definitely. Um, great. So this is going to be the final question. You may or may not have prepped for this. Um, I haven't. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hopefully you have an answer, but it's don't worry okay. if you haven't because it's a difficult question. What song do you wish you'd written, and what is it about that song? Somebody else asked me that. Um, ah. Okay. Uh, well, no, I'm gonna I'll give you the one I think I said before, which was I, I can't help it that Michael Jackson sings, but Stevie Wonder wrote. I just love the chord changes and just like tempo of the music. Um, I've got a bit of, there's a, a, some clip on Facebook somewhere when it was me and my daughter, she was six at the time and I'm, I'm singing along to her and then she starts miming with me and it just, you know, melts my heart to, to, to see that, that clip. So out of the billions of songs that you would ask me to pick the one, the one that I wish I wrote, that's, uh, that's one that comes to mind. Amazing. That's, yeah, it is such a nice song. And a lot of people don't know it, even though it's Michael Jackson. Classic. You know, you still play that tune now. It stands up today. You know, um, what's his name? Quincy Jones production. You know, mind blown. Mind blown. What, what do you prefer, Off the Wall or Thriller? Off the Wall. Easily. It was, um, I don't know, it was just something a bit more organic about it than Thriller was. Uh, even the Thriller is amazing. As well, but I just think there's more bangers on on Off the Wall, and I've heard I'll, I've heard a demo of them making the songs for Off the Wall as well. So I, you know, I've, I've seen the journey of it as well. Oh but wow! Yeah, without without a doubt, Off the Wall. Did you see there was a was it Spike and um, Spike Lee Lee documentary about Off the Wall? No, that's something that I got to watch. If you know, I just watched the making of Bad the video the other day and I didn't realise Martin Scorsese directed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> okay, so have you ever been influenced by what's around you politically or socially when it comes to writing a song, lyrics? Uh, yeah, I wrote a song called Fuck War, Make Love after I list, I was, you know, it was the the summer of the Arab Spring, so Egypt, um, uh, Iraq, uh, no, I didn't do it in Iran, but like all over the Arab Peninsula, there was that revolution going off, and that's. I thought this would be a great song to, you know, to to write about that 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 situation. Obviously, now everything's turned into something else with ISIS, and, and, and um, uh, you know what I mean. That that the whole terrorism thing is just that that's been born out of that situation now because obviously the tyrants were, were controlling. The, the 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 terrorists in the first place, and now they're not there. It's just it's just madness out there. Um, but that's what I wrote about, and now it's come it's come to mean something else because since that since that we've been getting terrorized. You know, like the Bataclan in Paris, where you know how many people got killed, and that's just people wanted to go 
to, to you know, go and see a concert. I, and they've got people, they kill people in the restaurants. All we want to do is, is just like, you know, enjoy ourselves, feed our kids, put roofs over their head, put food in their belly. And here you've got these madmen trying to, trying to mash up the program. So now that's what that song kind of means. You know what I mean? It's less about that revolution. It's about our, our own personal revolution. Have you been doing writing on lockdown? I have been. Actually, my latest one that I've been trying to do is um, doing a song for my girls because they're not with me here. They're in, they're, um, they're in Brighton with their mum and their grand. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been in the studio because I have to do, I have to work here. This is my only way that I can make some cash at the moment. Um, but then I just thought of that, how much I'm missing them and that I wanted to write a song and then um, we want to do the acapella thing. So I'm going to send them the music, get them to sing over it, and then I'll get, take it back and I'll put a bit more on, on top of it. That's just one of the things I'm doing. I've been doing a whole bunch of other things as well, but that's the latest thing that I've been doing. I think last year was it, you posted one of your daughters singing an Alessio Cara song and it she was yes. it sounded great, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well, you haven't that's... been able to see them at all? Well, no, because I don't have a car and I'm not going to be, I'm not doing the public transport thing as uh, well. So we thank yeah. God for, for FaceTime. I know. Um, we, we, you know what I mean? Imagine this lockdown without this technology. You'd be, uh, be killing me right now. But mm. no, we speak, we speak every day and we train actually in the mornings every day as well. We have the little routine that we do, some, uh, some exercises and stuff. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. We, we, we've been, uh, I'm still, uh, communicating with each other. But yeah, I, I don't want to risk that because one of, one of them has chronic asthma as well. So, oh, right, you know yeah. what I mean? That's, uh, it's best, uh, we don't mess with that. And and I don't think this is going to be for for, for much too long. I think they'll relax the, the lockdown. In yeah, a of weeks. maybe like they'll relax the social distancing side of it, hopefully, but maybe they yeah. might well, open stuff. Yeah, soon, exactly. Well, that, that's that's the thing for us, us musicians now. We've had to like rejig everything. I don't know if you saw, I was singing outside somebody's front door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the other day. And I think that's the way forward. It's going to be outside shows or singing at a distance. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> this way for a while. Yeah. It's crazy. And you've been doing your live streams and everything. And the live streams. Yeah, I've been setting up the studio. I'm waiting for like, another couple of cameras and then we can go proper. You know what I mean? I can switch cameras and you know what I mean? Put, put, on, a, put on a proper show. Yeah, I need. You could do one of those split screen pre-recorded ones where you, you play the drums and you play the bass. And you, you could do one. Yeah, I, I could do that, but I ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> No, you just put an idea in my head. Oh, there you go. Might, might be another thing to do. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll have a think about it. Thank you. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I can't see the light that shines on me.
to know more about Omar, please go to his website, omarmusic.co.uk. And if you want to listen to some of his tracks, I've curated a special playlist for Spotify, What You Didn't Know About. I've also created playlists for all my other guests from this series. If you want to know more about me, please go to louisegolby.com and you can search for me and my releases on all digital platforms. Thank you so much and I hope you've enjoyed it. This podcast is produced by Unedited.